0: You were listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Episode 68. Hi guys, this is Mark Holthy back again after a very, very long time away from doing these podcasts. My sincerest apologies for doing this. Before I get into all of the sorted reasons why it's been such a long time since I released the last episode, I just wanted to let everyone know that this episode is brought to you by the Canadian Immigration Institute. And I would not be able to continue doing this podcast without the support I receive from the Canadian Immigration Institute. So stay tuned and I'll tell you a little bit more about this later on. Well, as many of you know, the last episode that I did was back on March the 6th, 2019, with Jason Cummings of David Cummings Insurance Services to talk about the Canadian health system. And I just wanna let you know, don't be deceived by the topic. I believe every single immigration practitioner should listen, should listen to it. I uh, Myself, personally, I learned a ton of things that I never even considered. And the things that David explained, um, you know, as people are coming and landing and becoming permanent residents, there were a lot of things um, that could expose them to significant problems if they weren't aware of how the system worked. And so the things that I learned from him in that episode, I've actually used with almost all of my clients when I'm assisting them with the final landing process when they become permanent residents. So don't be deceived. Go back and listen to that episode. All right. So March the 6th. Today is October the 12th. What the heck has happened in this period of time? Why has Mark not issued or released any new episodes? Well, let me get into a little bit of background. So Ultimately, the first thing I want you to understand is that I have not been silent, but I've been releasing tons of videos on Express Entry, uh, which has very quickly become the bulk of, or at least a large portion of my practice, every Tuesday at noon on the Canadian Immigration Institute Facebook page. And uh, so obviously, if I'm doing something like that, a video every week, it takes time there you have it okay so those those um facebook live videos um are are basically launched on my canadian immigration institute facebook page and then they're reposted on my canadian immigration institute youtube channel so you can go there there's like over 200 videos now so that's the first thing that's been taking up all of my time then uh just as another add, added measure i spent a lot of time Curating, growing, and building um, the Express Entry Law Private Facebook group, which is just about 125,000 members now, and so um, after continuing to do the live videos in that private Facebook group, I realized that Facebook was were being jerks and they weren't, <laughs> they were not allowing everybody in the group to see the videos. It was so frustrating they couldn't share them with their friends unless they were members of the group. I had trouble sharing outside of it, so I shifted over and moved all of my videos over to the Canadian Immigration Institute business page. So that's where they're that's where they're launched and if you want to watch them, you can join live. I answer live listener questions. People send in questions and uh, we just basically talk about express entry. Um All right, what else have I done? I launched my new Canadian Immigration Institute website. So you can just go to CanadianImmigrationInstitute.com. Check that out. It's definitely Beta 1.0. So understand, this is Mark here who is producing this stuff, and I am not a professional in any way. I've uh, pulled in a few people that kind of assist me with it, but we're all kind of figuring it out as we go. So bear with me. It's not... Uh, a perfect uh, site in any way. Uh, maybe if I get rich from the uh, <laughs> my do-it-yourself guides I can afford to hire better um, you know better uh, resources uh, and people to help take it to the next level. But at this stage it's all about the content so ignore the form. Alright so what else? I released my first uh, DIY guide um, on the labor market impact assessment process. So for high wages I did that. And then I've been ramping up my speaking engagements. So I just spoke on September the 25th um, at the, uh, the Canadian Bar Association's immigration subsection meeting for the Alberta South. I shared my, my secret sauce with the lawyers there on marketing my practice, uh, which obviously all of you should know by now, it's content marketing. Um, I had the wonderful privilege of going to the Acadie Conference, which is the Quebec Immigration Lawyer Association Conference, um, on October the 5th, just last week, to talk about Express Entry and how my Quebec-based colleagues and friends could potentially use Express Entry as a way to help their, well, for the most part, um, non-French-speaking clients transition to permanent residence and it was an amazing conference i want to give a special shout out to david chalk who was the most amazing host and i just had one of the most unbelievable experiences by far the best experience i've ever had um speaking at an immigration conference they were so kind they flew me out they you know they covered my hotel and um and just gave me such amazing amazing Uh, Treatment and uh, yeah, David, thank you so much. Now, the interesting thing, and this has led directly to why I'm now doing the podcast, is that I had one lawyer come up to me and indicate that they actually decided to go to law school because of listening to my podcast. And so I'm thinking, holy cow, people are actually listening to this. And I didn't think uh, the lawyers in Quebec were because a lot of the content isn't really directed to Quebec immigration, although I have in the past done a few episodes. It's really been, you know, a lot of the other things. And I was I was blown away by how many lawyers um, expressed appreciation for the podcast and said they listened, listened to it. And so I'm thinking here, oh, Mark, come on, find a way to do this. This is important. This is what got everything started. So it motivated me to move forward and to get going. Now, obviously, the lifeblood of these podcasts is the amazing lawyers all across the country who join me and bring their knowledge, their skill, their just their talents um, with immigration and share them freely. And then I plug the heck out of them and let everybody know how awesome they are. And, and I know that pr- past uh, guests who've joined me have seen uh, the benefits of, of um, some of the efforts we do to promote. But when you produce awesome content... Oh yeah, people are going to call, of course. So uh, with that being said, if you have an an interesting idea, a topic that you're very confident in, and you'd love to join me um, as a guest, I would love to have you. So the easiest way to do it is to send me an email to mark at com. And then I would love to slot you in as I start to fill up the queue of uh, individuals that are going to be coming and speaking. And while I'm on that note and I'm pushing forward with all of this discussion about guests, I am looking very much forward to having Betsy Kane join me again to talk about global skill strategy. And I'm also going to be do another uh, doing another upcoming episode on the labor market impact assessment process. And I have already invited another guest who he hasn't quite confirmed that he's able to do it yet, but to talk about postgraduate work permits and some of the issues that uh, those international students are facing as they transition from school to the workforce. And so those are some of the three upcoming uh, topics that we will be covering. They may not happen in that exact order, but that's, that's what's coming down the pipe. So I thought I'd let you know about that. Okay, so there's five different things. Well, I'm not done. Okay, what else am I doing? Um, uh, Next, this week, actually, I am going to be attending the Conference Board of Canada Fall 2019 meetings in Banff, moderating a session on labor market issues, and this is a, a very fitting location to do it in the National Park of Banff here in Alberta. Um, because what, where are there more acute labor shortages than within the tourism industry? And Banff is a classic example of this. So I'm really excited to be there um, and to, to moderate that session. Um, and coinciding perfectly with that, with those meetings next week, is a conference that I attend every year with the J. Rubin Clark Law Society. And it is also going to be held in Banff at a different place. This one is actually at the Banff Springs Hotel, which is really cool, where I get a chance to catch up with fellow um, lawyers of faith to talk about ways we can better serve our communities, defend freedom of religion and use our position as lawyers to actually help the vulnerable and give back in ways, you know, really just to make this world a better place and uh, I love that conference it's so amazing we've got some fantastic speakers that are coming and uh, it's just a way to really reconnect with some like-minded colleagues and uh, and just collaborate more all right so now you're probably thinking okay that's probably good enough mark we understand why you haven't done a podcast okay I'm not done yet you guys (laughs) I'm not done so what else am I doing well last year Uh, I became the Secretary of the Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Section. And this year I became the Vice Chair. And I can tell you it has been one of the things that has taken up the most time within my practice right now, let alone all those other things that I'm adding. And this volunteer position, purely volunteer, is just, it's provided a tremendous opportunity for me to give back in ways that I never could otherwise. It was a a tremendous honor to be elected by my peers. And um, really, what do we do? We just work towards the betterment of the immigration laws, policies, and and the practice of immigration at a national level, which is super cool. In December, I'm heading off to meetings uh, with the government, uh, attending the, uh, meetings with CBSA, IRCC, and ESDC. It will be very interesting to see what those are going to look like, given the fact uh, we've got an election that's at hand, and we're just about transitioning into that. And to close off all of these crazy things that have been happening in Mark's life, my daughter Jessica came home from her mission just this past Wednesday. And she has one happy family. And I'm sure she's pretty happy to come home too. But she's been away for over a year and a half uh, in Indiana serving a mission for a church. And um, it has just been the most amazing, amazing experience to have her back In our family again and she's going to be helping me with some of the stuff I'm doing with the Canadian Immigration Institute which I'm super super grateful for so that is um, you know and when I think back to my own life I had an opportunity to serve my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Portugal and that's where I learned to speak Portuguese that's where I learned this you know poor redneck farm boy in Alberta going across the ocean to a whole different country, it gave me an appreciation that I never could have got anywhere else, an experience that I never could have gotten anywhere else that has set the stage for my entire life. And to that point, it was the greatest experience of my my life. Obviously, being married to my wife for all eternity is a uh, ranks up there. Number one, being a dad, all those kinds of things, Uh, you know, all rank up there um, above the mission experience now, but it's still basically the the thing that set the stage for my whole life and everything that I'm doing today, including practicing immigration law. All right, so that's why it has been so long since I last did an episode. I thought I'd just fill you guys in And uh, I want to apologize once again for not being more diligent, but it's so hard. It's so hard when, you know, I don't have this big team of people behind me. I have two people in my office here um, at Stringham uh, LLP here in Lethbridge, um, a wonderful paralegal and a great um, immigration consultant who works with me And, um, and, and that's it and I'm doing all this other stuff on the side so obviously things something has to give and unfortunately over the last couple years it's actually been the billable work that's taken a significant hit so um, this work that I've been building this long tail marketing I'm hoping now is set me up so that I can move forward and do some really amazing things okay let's shift gears now and I want to highlight The reason, once again, for this particular episode is that awesome ACADEE conference that I went to. And what did I do? I taught them about Express Entry. And I thought, wow, I've spent all this time preparing this just really great presentation on Express Entry for those practitioners. Well, why not spin it out and do a podcast on it? So that's exactly what I am doing um, in this episode right now. And so I have included in the show notes... Um, and that conference in Montreal, yeah, I said was just last week. And so I've included in the show notes a uh, copy of the slide deck from that presentation. At the end of the slide deck, there are some tips and strategies for Quebec based uh, practitioners um, on how to use Express Entry and some things to take into consideration. We dived into that a little bit. But this episode, I'm not going to get into the Quebec based stuff. If you want to uh, uh, take a look at it, you can look at the slide deck. Um, and that will give you a little bit of, you know, an idea of some of the challenges uh, that Quebec-based applicants are facing. And uh, we'll cover some of those as we, you know, as we move forward with the general presentation. But here's what I intend to cover in this particular episode. This is how we're going this is what we're going to cover. So one quick overview of the express entry process, just for those of you who are new to it. Then we'll talk a little bit about these CRS trends. That's the comprehensive ranking system trends and the rounds of invitation and um, kind of where we're seeing things going. Um, then next, how our clients can increase their CRS scores because that's what they're asking us all the time. So I'll give you kind of my top list of ways that that people can increase their score and increase their chance of getting that magical invitation to apply. Then I'm going to share with you um, some must some things that you just absolutely must know about Express Entry if you're going to dive into this, whether you're a practitioner, whether you're an individual. And uh, then we'll break a little bit, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my Canadian Immigration Institute. Then I'm going to dive in and finish strong with my essential practice tips, my top five crazy reasons Express Entry applications have been refused. My top five. Now, they're not my reasons. One of them is, uh, one of them I do take credit for, (laughs) <laughs> but but uh, the other four ones that I've heard through through my you know Express Entry Law Private Facebook group and from the many many consults I do on Express Entry and the last most common the, the last thing is the top five most common reasons that the, the most common reasons Express Entry applications are refused alright so that is a little quick overview and uh, I guess at this stage why don't we just dive right into the presentation okay so and I guess It's not a presentation. I guess I keep (laughs) forgetting I do so many live videos. It's as if I'm presenting uh, to a live audience, but no, this episode and all of the podcast episodes are always recorded, obviously. All right, so let's jump in. So January the 1st, 2015, that's when it all got started. That's when the government got tired of these crazy long queues, and I think we all did too with individuals that were stuck in the queue waiting for their applications to be processed under the Federal Skilled Worker Program for eons. Like some places were six, seven years, there were over 600,000 applications in the queue. It was just unsustainable. So we know, at least those who've been practicing, some of the steps the government did to cull out the queue, which in, in and of themselves were cruel and heartless. But anyways, they, they that's what happened. And so they created Express Entry as a way to manage the federal economic immigration programs. And what are they? The Canadian Experience Class, the Federal Skilled Worker Program, the Federal Skilled Trades Program, and within Express Entry itself, some of the Ps across the country have streams that are Express Entry specific streams. So it was all designed to fast track Permanent residence in Canada and eliminate those long processing times. Now, one other thing I want to highlight here, and this is to my Quebec-based practitioners, um, the whole basis of express entry, at least through the the general express entry process through the federal all these federal programs, is that a candidate must have the intention to reside outside Quebec. And that is the issue with your Quebec-based clients. That's the thing that why, well, really why Express Entry has always been um, uh, a program, obviously designed for um, people living outside of Quebec. But at the end of the slide deck, if you want to go and access it in the show notes, on the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website, um, you'll be able to uh, see some of the tips and strategies I've provided for actually making it work for Quebec-based clients, at least those who may be currently in Quebec but have an intention to reside outside. All right. Okay, so how does it work? If your candidate meets the minimum entry criteria for one of those federal programs, they can then submit their basically their profile into the pool of candidates. And then they kind of swim around, swim around every two to three weeks A round of invitations happens. um, And if your client's CRS or Comprehensive Ranking System score is above the pass mark, then they're given an invitation to apply for permanent residence. They've got two months to collect their documents and submit their electronic application for permanent residence because it's all electronic. And then once they submit it, the government has committed to processing 80% of the applications within six months. All right? And so, When you look at how they break down the comprehensive ranking system, you can go to the government website, you can go to uh, my slide deck, and I've broken it down, but the most important thing to understand with this is that individuals that are single are treated differently than individuals that are married. And so um, the comprehensive ranking system score is built around a person's human capital, so, they, they give you points for age, 110 points. They give you 100, and, this is if you're a single individual, 160 for your English or French language ability, um, 150 for your education, and then another 80 for your Canadian work experience. And so, you have there essentially 500 human capital points that are attributed to you as an applicant. Now they give bonus points. So if you have certain combinations of those, you know, core kind of human capital factors, then you can get up to an additional 100 points and for a total of 600. And then they have other additional points. Do you have a brother or sister in Canada? More points. Do you speak English and French? More points. Do you have Canadian education? do you have um, an arranged offer of employment from a Canadian employer? And remember, without getting into too much detail, that's not just a regular offer. It's an offer supported by a labor market impact assessment, or you've been working in Canada for a named employer on your work permit for at least a year. All right. And uh, and then, of course, the provincial nomination process that have express entry streams, you get a whack of points that basically guarantee you're going to get an invitation to apply. Um, And yeah, and so the total score is out of 1,200. And uh, over the last while, the biggest thing that I've seen with my clients is that those who are married are really punished because 40 of the principal applicant's points, if you're married, are attributed to your spouse or common-law spouse. And so if you have really good English but your spouse doesn't, well, you could lose up to 20 points because your language, the language ability of your spouse is not as good as yours. Or an extra 10 points you could lose if your spouse's education isn't as high as yours. And it's becoming super, super competitive, you guys, in order to be able to qualify. And so if you look at the rounds of invitations, the very, very first one way back January 31st, 2015, was 886 points. It's never climbed up that high. Um, largely because of some of the changes that they've made to the uh, point calculation and the factors that they have um, set forth in the actual uh, criteria for accumulating your comprehensive ranking system score. The lowest was 413 back on May 31st, 2017, and then they made a couple changes, and it has been increasingly going up and up and up ever since. So the most recent round, I think, uh, maybe there's been one since, but October the 2nd of 2019, it was 464. And basically, it's been hovering right around the high, high 450s and 460s for most of this year. Now, earlier in the year, there was a 438 draw, um, which was the lowest in 2019. But there were other reasons why that draw happened, and it's not going back down to that. And so when we talk about these, um, you know, these the, the fact that the scores are constantly going up, why is that? Well, it's because people who have human capital points alone with no connection to Canada, they are starting to have to compete with people who are now coming, going to school, getting points for that working, getting on post-grad work permits, getting extra points for Canadian work experience, and all of those things, which is pushing the score higher and higher and higher to the point where it is becoming more and more difficult for individuals who are trying to qualify with human capital points alone. So they don't have a connection, they don't have a job offer, they don't have Canadian education. So very quickly, it's becoming a very Canadian-based program. And so what does that mean? Everybody and their dog are applying for study permits, essentially, so that they can come. And those who are fortunate enough to get job offers, they're also um, taking advantage of those extra points that give them a leg up on the people that are just trying to qualify from abroad. So when clients say, Oh, Mark, my score is at 440, how do I increase it so that I can reach uh, the level that I need it, that I can get an ITA? And uh, usually, these are the top kind of things that I share with them. So this is how to increase your CRS score. If you're an individual, pay attention to this. If you're a, a counsel, this is typically where I point them to. So right off the bat, what are your language scores? Unless you have a CLB9, you don't have a prayer. Unless you've got through a PNP or some other process. But language is critical. You need to have at least a CLB9 which is on the IELTS an 8 in listening and a 7 in all of the other three abilities. Next, if you once you've maximized that, then can you improve your education? And often in the past a bachelor's degree alone was enough, but not anymore. You pretty much need to have a master's and or you need to have at least two or more credentials. So maybe you've got a bachelor's degree and then a uh, one-year um, uh, some other post-secondary degree and or a one-year program or whatever it might be diploma but two or more one of which has to be at least three years and that will give you those extra bonus points <clears throat> excuse me then the next is obtain more work experience so if you only have one year of foreign work experience you need to have at least three if you want to maximize your chances of success. So after you get more than three years of foreign work experience, well, depending upon your age and other factors, usually you're not getting any, well, you're not getting any more comprehensive ranking system points, but you may need a few more years of work experience to meet the federal skilled worker program's eligibility. But it's kind of a balance. And for most of my clients, once you've hit three years of foreign work experience, you've pretty much maxed out whatever you, you can get. Then the next is study in Canada. So, if you still don't have enough points and you have tried to increase your language score, you've maximized that, you've got as much education, well, let's just say your education is not enough um, combined with your foreign work experience to get you to that pass mark, then consider studying. And that's why the ranks of students increased from about 250,000 to over oh my goodness, probably 500,000 or more. I don't know what the current stats are, but it just ballooned up incredibly. And so everybody and many of those are competing for extra points for express entry and those post-grad work permits, which are so, so important in this process. All right, then I tell people, well, do you think you can get a job offer? Which is really tough. Can you find a Canadian company who is looking to hire you in a skilled occupation? And... If you're lucky enough to get uh, a C-suite level position, you know, a CEO, um, a, uh, you know, a, a vice president, you know, those kinds of things, you can get up to 200 extra points for job offers. Otherwise, everyone in a knock zero and below is 50 points, knock zero, zero occupations can be up to 200 points. All right, then the last most cruel, but most effective way of immediately increasing your points is if you are in a spousal relationship, you've got a spouse or a wife or a husband, consider leaving them at home and listing them as non accompanying Now there's a whole bunch of reasons why people do this, but the reality is when it comes to express entry, um, if your spouse has very poor English or French, has very poor uh, education, right there you're gonna lose 30 points. So by listing them as non accompanying you are assessed as an individual applicant which then makes you much more competitive within the comprehensive ranking system. All right, but it's cruel. And then after you come, then you sponsor them. But remember, remember, they must be fully disclosed, listed as non-accompanying, have their police certificates completed, have their immigration medicals completed, all of those things. All right, okay. (laughs) Things you must absolutely know about express entry before you even tackle it. You must understand this as a practitioner, this is really geared to you. So first officers are ruthless. They are 100% ruthless. They follow a one touch policy as close as you could possibly imagine. And what that means is if there is anything they feel is not 100% provided in the way they want it provided, that it's incomplete in some way, they will just return the application and normally you'd say hmm okay so then we'll resubmit well the problem that you face is that the CRS score is constantly going up so there is absolutely no room for error so i'll get into some of the the, the very very crazy reasons my top 5 here in a little bit of of reasons people had their applications returned but When the CRS is constantly going up, if you're the representative, you make one of these simple little mistakes, the application gets returned, and I'm doing air quotes here, uh, for being incomplete. Well, the round of invitations may never go back down to the level in which your client was drawn. And so the consequences are just astronomical. And because of that, it is unbelievably stressful practicing express entry these days. And if what happens if it gets returned? Well, trying to uh, request reconsideration, well, it's rarely, rarely granted, especially if there was something incomplete in the application. So if that's the case and reconsideration is rarely granted, the only option you have is filing leave uh, uh, for to judici- revu- judicially review that decision. And yes, if it's an egregious mistake by the officer, clearly a mistake, DOJ will often consent and send it back. But the expense, the time, the hassle, oh my goodness, it's terrible. So I can confirm, (laughs) speaking from my own experience, that Express Entry will 110% give you gray hair. It will. My hair is grayer because of Express Entry. And for me, it, well, I shouldn't say for me, but for all, every one of us, it's going to increase your stress level, which will either lead to increased alcohol consumption or in my case, weight gain because I'm a stress eater. So understand that that is 110% what you are facing. So in just a second, we're going to get into my my essential, essential practice tips. But before I do that, I want to take a quick little break and talk about the sponsor of this episode, which is the Canadian Immigration Institute. All right, I wanna express appreciation, and it's interesting when you're expressing appreciation to something that you founded and that you started over three years ago, but the reality is, my appreciation goes to the Canadian Immigration Institute which in turn goes to every single person that have supported it over the last three years. It's been a slow, very incremental increase in, in, in what it does. Um, I've, uh, I founded it over three years ago by myself As a way to address some of the acute access to justice issues that I saw happening within immigration and as practitioners we know that there are people all over the world who are looking to come to Canada and very often they do not reach out to us Canadian based immigration lawyers or consultants that um, provide assistance they will often use the ones that are in the local countries and so because Applicants overseas who may not otherwise be able to have afforded my Canadian um, uh, immigration lawyer fees instead, like I said, turn to overseas agents and consultants. And in many cases, those people, all they're good for is taking the money of these individuals and offering very little in return. And in all honesty, sometimes actually destroying their chance of immigrating at all. Because in many cases they're learning off of the backs of their clients, and yeah, when an application gets refused, ooh, I guess I better not do that again. And so these people are trusting individuals in their home countries because they're theoretically more affordable. And um, and so I realized that you know as they booked as people booked consults with me, that I was seeing trends of people committing the same mistakes, the same errors, and if there was a way I could just show them and demonstrate and teach them how to do it then it could avoid all of these heartaches and and problems. And also, if I could give them an affordable tool that they could use to educate themselves, even if they did choose to use an overseas representative, then they would know who was blowing smoke and who actually knew what they were talking about. And so I created my very first Express Entry Complete Step-by-Step Guide to Doing It Yourself. And it's been probably about two and a half years ago, I think, maybe, that I launched it. I can't remember exactly. But the proceeds from that sale help to support the countless hours that I spend offering all of the free information and guidance that I offer um, regarding Express Entry and all of my other social media channels. Now, I've expanded and I've done some uh, live Q&As for just general immigration. I've done a few things on spousal sponsorships and things like that. But really, this whole experiment has been with Express Entry just to see how it works. And it has been quite an enlightening experience. And uh, one day, I will share my journey with all of you guys, but it is because of the the Canadian Immigration Institute that I'm able to do a lot of the things that I do. So um, with that being said, for those that are listening to this episode, I want to offer uh, a special um, discount to those who are listening to the podcast. I offer lifetime access to the course for $497 US. But if you enter coupon code, and I'll put a link in the show notes on the Canadian Immigration Podcast website, a link in the show notes to coupon code CIPEE50. And if you do, if you enter that code, it will give you. 50% off lifetime access to my Express Entry Complete step-by-step guide to doing it yourself. And so it will drop down to $248.50 US. So click on that link and I will leave this offer open for one month until November the 12th, 2019. Um, And so you can go to the CanadianImmigrationInstitute.com website, go to Individual Guides and you will be able to find it there or click on the link in the show notes. I also want to let everyone else know um, that is listening in from all over the world that I have now launched my affiliate program. And I am sick and tired of posting stuff on Facebook and trying to, to just through the, the content and the knowledge that I share, promote the, the basically the, the products that uh, the Canadian Immigration Institute's express entry, complete step-by-step guide. But all Facebook wants to do is, is charge me to get it onto your feeds. So why in the world would I do that when I already have um, just an amazing group of awesome people? um, And so I thought I'm going to set up an affiliate program. And once again, the link is in the show notes, or you can go to the main site of the Canadian Immigration Institute and scroll all the way down to the bottom and affiliates of the Canadian Immigration Institute earn 30% of the proceeds when someone purchases through your affiliate link. So go to the Canadian Immigration Institute page, scroll down to the bottom, click on affiliate and become an affiliate of the Canadian Immigration Institute. All right. Thank you for giving me a few moments to share a little bit about this Canadian Immigration Institute, and I am super excited about it. We'll see how it all unfolds here over the next um, few months as as I roll out a whole bunch of other things, but that is why I'm able to do this podcast and all of the other things that I do. So thanks, Canadian Immigration Institute. All right, let's get back to more discussion about Express Entry. All right. Okay. So now we are at the stage where we're going to talk about my essential practice tips. Okay. This right off the bat, and a lot of these are practitioners, but essential practice tips. Number one, do not trust your assistant. Do not trust your assistant. Do not trust your paralegal. Do not trust your client. And if you are the client or the applicant, do not trust yourself. And the reason is the only person, well, I shouldn't say as a client, you shouldn't trust yourself, but as a practitioner, the only one you can trust is yourself. And what I mean by that is you have to review everything with a forensic level of detail and if you're a practitioner never never just trust yourself to submit it without having someone else review it if you are an individual submitting your own application do not under any circumstance complete your own without having someone review it for you why because here's where we get to the really helpful practice tips okay i will (laughs) so these so those are the essential practice tips now's the really helpful practice tips (laughs) And I'll explain to you why you don't trust anyone in just a little bit. But first off, practice tip number one. Use the letters of explanation as a shield. Explain everything. You may think, oh, the officer will understand, don't do it. Make sure that if there's anything that could potentially be confusing or uncertain for an officer, that you explain it in a letter of explanation. There's a section within the document checklist for you to do that. Use it. Next. Because when you upload documents, you cannot see what you've uploaded after they're up there. You absolutely must use a consistent naming convention for all of your uploaded documents. I keep all of the uploaded documents in one folder in my client's file. And you do that yourself, either in your offices or if you're the individual. Have one location, one folder that you know. The only documents in there are ones that have actually been uploaded. And then you cross-reference the actual name that you gave to that file, and that's how you can understand and make sure that you've uploaded the right one. Next, check all documents against the Express Entry Completeness Check um, PDI, the Program Delivery Instructions. Essentially, there is a, and I'll put a, actually, maybe there's a link in the show notes I'll put, actually, I think there's a link at the end of this slide deck, that's where it is, that's um, that's in the show notes, uh, for the completeness check. But all you need to do is search Um, EE IRCC completeness check and that should take you to the site and it gives you specific instructions on what the government is looking for within your documents now you're obviously also going to look at those little radio buttons beside the document those question mark um, little um, icons beside the document checklist when it's generated but this completeness check will give you a much better overview of what to expect so use both of them religiously then double check every document to make sure that it is complete correct but also don't ignore the expiry dates. We know that when it comes to the expiry of some of these documents, uh, medicals are good for a year, uh, language tests are good for two years, um, ECAs are good for five years, and uh, you have to watch. You know, police certificates have expiry dates as well. So. Finally, make sure that the dates that are all in your EAPR, your electronic application for permanent residence, when you're filling out your work history, your study history, make sure that those dates do not conflict with any of these documents. So those are just the high level practice tips that I wanted to share. Now there's, I could do a whole episode just on practice tips, but let's leave it right there. Now it's time. Now is time to dive into my top five crazy reasons an express entry application was refused. All right, number one, and this one I will take credit for myself. Number one, black and white scan, black and white scan of a German police clearance was uploaded instead of a color copy. How did it happen? Okay you might think this is ridiculous what difference does it make it's a copy It's a copy it's not original anyways the government demands that your police clearances be uploaded as a color copy so my application for a client got returned to us because we had uploaded a black and white how did it happen well I knew and this goes back to do not trust anyone we knew um, that we needed to have color copies or at least I knew and my staff should have known. But anyways, so so what happened was the client sent us all their police certificates from a number of different countries. You know what it's like when people live in Europe. They have police certificates from a number of different countries. She sent them all to us in one bundle. Color copies, just like we requested, all in one bundle. But then the document checklist breaks them down by country. So my staff member, um, who's actually no longer working with my office, <laughs> for other reasons, um, not just a lack of attention to detail, but um, that we, she printed off the documents that my client gave so that she could break them down, but she printed them in black and white. And then she broke them apart, re-uploaded them back together as individuals and um, in, as individual uh, documents into their particular section. And of course, the color became black and white, and it got returned. That, I can tell you, because i'm so horrified whenever we make mistakes even though it didn't fundamentally prejudice the client i gave the client all of their money back and uh and then they took it and they resubmitted on their own you know and i felt so bad about that and so because of that i've drastically changed how i do my express entry applications and i tend to micromanage all of them um which is not the most cost-effective way of doing things but what's important to me in my practice is my clients not maximizing the dollars that I earn from them so first thing that got refused uploading a black-and-white copy of a police certificate instead of color the second top five crazy reasons and none of these other ones are mine the reference letter did not indicate the number of hours worked per week okay in the completeness check it says you need to list the number of hours worked what did the letter list full-time now, you and I probably would realize that full-time in most countries all over the world is going to at least meet 30 hours a week, which is the minimum, but it got returned, right? Right or wrong, it asked for hours per week, it got returned because it didn't have it. Now, does that mean that every single officer is going to refuse your application because you miss some of these things I'm sharing now? No. But guys, we do not practice in probabilities. We practice in possibilities. And if there's a possibility, I don't want to be on the wrong side of that, uh, that decision. Okay, next, third one is that the proof of funds held in a fixed deposit account um, were not deemed available for settlement, and so the application was refused. So in this case, the fixed deposit, I'm not sure exactly the full details, but this is kind of like a, um, like an RSP or, or, or a, a deposit account. Um, often they use these in Asia. And in this case, the officer felt that it wasn't in a savings account and redib- readily available and, and uh, in liquid form. And so they refused it. And once again, right or wrong, maybe you can challenge that, but it got got returned. And once again, I'll reiterate to you guys, what happens when it gets returned? No big deal, right? Wrong. If it gets returned, you have huge issues because the comprehensive ranking system score may never drop down to the level where your client received their ITA. Do you get it? The consequences are massive. All right. Fourth on my list, the person used the wrong not code. So in their prime, when they're listing their primary occupation, they used a code that the officer adjudicating the application didn't think matched their duties. Now, the issue I have with this is, and it happens a lot. The reality is who freaking cares? As long as the occupation is at a skilled level, like what is the big deal? But for immigration purposes, it has to be specifically stated. it's built into the law, so therefore you need to accurately identify it. And I probably do as many consults, um, you know the content of these, of these paid consults I do from, with people all over the world, there's probably very few that don't include some element of trying to identify the proper not code. And does it result in an application getting returned? Yes. So don't just trust your client. Make sure that you go through it and you assess everything carefully. All right. Number five. This is my personal favorite. Failure to translate the translator's seal placed on the certified true copy. So those of you lawyers here in Canada, we've got our seals. We impress it. And it says, this is a certified true copy of the original, which I've seen. And I seal it. And that seal has Mark Notary Public, whatever it has on there. Well, in other countries, that seal may be in um, Arabic. And uh, so basically, you've got a situation where everything's translated. And then the the translator um, sealed it with their Arabic seal, because that's the only kind of seal that they have. And then the application got returned because the uh, officer couldn't see what the seal said because it was in arabic so then what are you supposed to do okay you seal it in arabic and then you translate your own seal and then seal it in arabic again i guess the translator has to then go find someone who doesn't have an arabic seal who can then seal the arabic trans the, the, who can then translate the, Arab- the arabic seal you can see this cycle that just goes round and round it's crazy it's insane but has it happened? Yes, it has, okay? And then just because just because um, this is such a fun area, I'm going to throw in a bonus reason that just happened recently on our, on our immigration listserv. People will remember this coming up um, with the CBA at listserv. Basically a person didn't list all their work experience in the work history section of their EAPR. They only listed work history that they were claiming points for. Now, if you purchase a subscription to my guide, I clearly advise you not to list everything in the work history section because it's a complete waste of time. You only need to list the work experience that actually relates to points that you're trying to claim for comprehensive ranking system. Why? Because who cares if you've worked as a food counter attendant at McDonald's You can't count that for anything towards express entry. It's low skill. And anything you put in there, you then have to provide a reference letter for that work history in your document checklist. So it makes work for you. It makes work for your client. It makes work for the immigration officer. So no one in their right mind is going to do that. A classic example is a spouse. A spouse is getting no points for anything except Canadian work experience. So if they don't have Canadian work experience, why would you ever include anything in a spouse's work history? Well, in in this situation, a visa officer abroad decided, nope, this was uh, a form of misrepresentation, you didn't include it in the work history section, and therefore I'm refusing your application. Now, understand, you may not list the work history in the work history section, this other work history that you're not claiming points for, but 110% you're going to fully list in your personal history section everything that you've done, including all periods of work, education, unemployment, whatever it might be. So in this case, the bonus reason was actually wrong. The officer was wrong. And so sometimes you have to deal with the fact that mistakes are made too, but you're gonna do everything in your power to try to ensure that you've explained everything uh, in the letters of explanation, that every single document is 100% perfect, that there's no inconsistencies, and in this case, um, the refusal was wrong and it's been confirmed over and over again with immigration. Now what does that person have to do? Request reconsideration. If that fails, then judicial review, Um, or in worst case scenario, refile if that's even possible. So these things happen. So there's the crazy reasons. Now let's finish off with the most common reasons my top five most common reasons an express entry application is refused so top of the list reference letters are deficient pay close attention to those reference letters wrong NAW code is 100% number one on the list like we indicated in the previous um, top five list next missing hours of work wage or duties those are the most common things that are missing from a reference letter and when you're proving foreign work experience the letters need to be complete if they're missing anything an officer can refuse them because you haven't demonstrated the things they need to see in order to give you credit for that foreign work experience and being paid and having duties that match the knock you've selected and working full-time at least 30 hours per week are essential components that you must prove so if yours is missing it You better find a different way to prove that work experience if the employer is not cooperative and i've done so many videos i've done my my guide is just full of tips and strategies on how to overcome the issue of a deficient reference letter if an employer is not cooperating and giving you what you need so i'd encourage you to purchase a a subscription to the express entry do-it-yourself guide next problems with police clearances like i said one they must, be, they must be scanned in color, not black and white, and pay close attention to the expiry date. If you have not returned back to that country since you last obtained the police certificate, they don't expire. But if it's the country where you current resi- currently reside, or if you have plain- obtained the police certificate um, before you actually left that country, then you're dealing with about six months, all right? Uh, expiry of other documents that's another reason language test results you don't realize that by the time you get around to submitting your EAPR the language tests have expired they're only valid for two years another one immigration medicals you completed it um, over a year ago and then you try to submit your EAPR because it took that long to get your ITA bang application refused next affidavits are missing from translations that's number four what do I mean by that go to the completeness check take a look at the very beginning a couple paragraphs down in that uh, program delivery instructions the affidavits are essential within the translation so the translator does not only translates it but they swear this is a true translation from the Arabic language to English or whatever it may be affidavits sometimes are missing from some translators and then I put fit five down here uh, most common reasons for refusal just to include my Quebec based uh, colleagues you haven't been able to in- uh, demonstrate an intention to reside outside Quebec. Okay, so no intention to reside outside Quebec is the fifth reason. All right, guys, that is, I guess, the, the, the best things that I can share about Express Entry, tips, strategies, you know, from, uh, I guess, from the trenches, if you will, and I hope that uh, I hope that was a benefit to you guys um, this I always like to have guests but in these circumstances I had to go to the well and uh, I just needed to get one out so I hope this was beneficial uh, I want to remind everybody that I'm looking at bringing uh, the next three topics hopefully possibly three topics uh, that I have coming down the pipe are uh, an explanation a little bit about the global skill strategy Betsy Kane has agreed to come uh, join me for that one. Um, Labor market impact assessments. I'm going to see. I may bring a guest on or I may do that one myself. Um, Postgraduate work permits. I've invited a guest to join me. I'm crossing my fingers that he will agree to do that. And I don't quite see a response back from him in my inbox. But um, just in closing, I want to thank all of you guys for... Sticking with me. I'm so grateful that people find this helpful and useful. Um, As always, if you have a great idea and a topic that you'd like to share your knowledge and experience, I'd love to showcase you. My goal is to showcase people who would not otherwise have a platform to share what they know, their knowledge, information. And it's just, it's all about giving this knowledge freely. And uh, in turn, it's, you know, you give and you give. And, and then it comes back, and that's ho- the whole theory behind content marketing. All right, once again, this episode has been sponsored by the Canadian Immigration Institute. I would love for you to go and check out the site, um, purchase a subscription to the Express Entry uh, DIY guide, and if you use coupon code CIPEE50, which is Canadian Immigration Podcast, Express Entry 50, or CIPEE50, you will get 50% off lifetime access to the course. And um, you'll see on the website all the testimonials and things like that for people that have purchased it. But in all honesty, guys, I put my heart and soul into it. Also, if you want to become an affiliate, scroll down to the bottom of the Canadian Immigration Institute website and click on affiliate, or you can also just click on the links that are available in the show notes. All right, guys, it was an absolute pleasure to connect with you once again. Um, remember, if you'd like to uh, join me as a guest, send an email to mark at Institute.com and I would love to have you join me. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful episode. I'm super happy to have had the opportunity to get back into the saddle. And <clears throat> as always, this episode has been bro- has been recorded here in my recording studio slash office slash uh, whatever else you want to call it um, in the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. I want to wish all of you guys all the best as you navigate this crazy world that we call Canadian immigration. Take care.
1: Oh, Canada, greatest country of your soil This place I love My home and native land We welcome all And with you we'll stand We'll set you straight With law, policy and practice Here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast